Carrie, and we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 36. And I'm by myself today. (laughs) (laughs) I space cadetted on what episode. That threw the whole thing off. I don't like it. I'm just kidding. I'm a creature of habit, okay? Yeah, habit of not looking at the freaking episode. Why can't I remember what number we're on? And the thing is, I did just look at it because I had to see who went first. Yep. Damn. It's, I'll tell you why it's all thrown off. We're recording early. Yeah, that's what it is. Because mm-hmm. I leave, we're recording on Monday. We usually record on Tuesday, Wednesday-ish. But I leave Wednesday going out of town for Thanksgiving. Tell the good folks about it, Carrie. Well, <laughs> no. We are going to the, my whole fam damly is going to the mountains in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Because we're not like the... Go out of towners for Thanksgiving. It's just this one time because Saturday is my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. So we're doing like a whole like anniversary thing for them. And like we're going to let them renew their vows and have a little ceremony and blah, blah, blah. Also, we have a special podcaster with us today because my parents went ahead and went out of town and they're meeting us up there Wednesday. So I'm dog sitting. And he's snoring. Yeah, so if you hear him snoring, his name's Bruiser. He's an English bulldog. And if you know anything about bully breeds, they <laughs> snore quite loudly. <laughs> so if you hear him snoring in the background, that's him. Marley's quiet. Bruiser, not so much. Yeah, she's a pod dog. He's nine. He's a good sleeper, though. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Getting it. Thing is, is he literally just laid down, too. I know, yeah. He's me in dog form when it comes to sleeping. Really? He's me in dog form when it comes to... Everything else? Everything else. (laughs) Moving slowly. Can't itch that certain spot. (laughs) Just in life. I'm allergic to him, so there's that. So I'm allergic to me. That pretty much is me. Yeah, that sums up your whole life (laughs) right there. We have two new Patreoners to shout out. Yes, So, welcome to the Creepinati, Becca M. And Tiffany T. So, thank y'all so much for signing up for Patreon. If you want an episode shout out, just head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. And check us out. Also, your your letters just went out today. Whoop, whoop. Okay, and also, we have a translation. Oh, (laughs) fuck. Yeah, so last week... When you did the sisters. The hardest people to say ever. The Yeah. Okay. Google done steered me wrong. Poconokes. The La Pokinachis. Bla, yeah. La Pokinat. Mm-hmm. So on Instagram, on the gram, Stephanie Janine, she messaged us and she said that it translates to butt poker. Oh, well there's that i mean they google translate you should be able to do that i mean like i feel like that's something i would want to be translated to be like oh a moment of like google how do you translate this is what i want you to do like please poke my butt Oh my god! You think it's because of how I said it that it translated that way, or I don't know if that is that really what the word is. I have no idea because it was probably me going pokey, not cheese in the butt. 
<laughs> Sorry, you said like cheese, and then I was thinking, oh, that's you a went, whole different kind of nacho. Whoop, you went mm-hmm. left field, and then you started thinking, yeah, too. Mm-mm. We went nasty. I mean, if it's your kink and you want nachos on the butt, you do that. No, but I was thinking, what's I don't that? want that kind of chili. What's that? <laughs> No, you know what I went straight to? That dick cheese. What's that? What's it called? Oh. Damn, where's Sabrina when you need her? What? Remember that we looked that word up because we didn't know it from Cards Against Humanity? Oh. And it's like It means like dick cheese or dick something. Yes. Oh, my God. What is it? Oh, shit. God, we got to look it up. Smurg. Smurg. Uh, S- smegma. Smegma. Yes. <laughs> I said smurg. Smurg. <laughs> it's like literally like the sebaceous secretions of the foreskin (laughs) foreshadowing the foreskin foreskin. (laughs) ew okay okay no we're going it leaves a trail everywhere it goes ew Like a snail oh, I was or like a that. slug or whatever. But I will say that they say like, you know, you get those masks from snail uh-huh. stuff. I mean, if it makes me look younger. I mean, slap me. <laughs> I want you to slap my face, okay? Can you just teabag my face? <laughs> slap my face right here in the T-zone. <laughs> look, right, right by here. my crow's feet. Yes, I got my some lap lines. <laughs> but don't get it in my eye. I think that could be dangerous. No, crossing the line. <laughs> Step away from the... <laughs> Oh man, we can we could totally do um we just skincare. Look. Oprah's favorite things hit us. Trademark up. that shit. <laughs> Copyright, trademark, the R with the circle, the C with the circle, the T M, <laughs> all of that, ours. So next time you see Schmegma <laughs> <laughs> too much oh Ew. my god <laughs> but oh. we have no boys in our life so we're gonna have to outsource that <laughs> all the all, all the non-jewish men <laughs> oh shit okay, okay. <laughs> this week i'm doing wesley allen dodd you ever heard of him Mm-mm. okay so he was born beginning of July 1961 in Washington. Okay. He was the oldest of their kids. He said that he grew up in a good house. Like it wasn't, like he was never abused, neglected. It wasn't a very loving household that he never got told the words, I love you by his parents, but it wasn't abusive. Later though, after he had been caught and everything, spoiler alert, he was caught. He had like kept a diary. And while he was in prison, he wrote that his dad was emotionally and physically abusive and that they were neglect, like that he was neglected in favor of his younger siblings and that his parents were violent to each other, like both of them, not mm. just one. And that on Wesley's 15th birthday, his dad attempted suicide after he got into an argument with his wife. Mm. By the age of 13, Wesley had started exposing himself to kids in the neighborhood. So he's this motherfucker started young. Oh my God. Sorry. I get what you're saying, but my, my brain as nasty as it is, did not go the nasty route of exposing, you know, Mm -hmm. his Oscar Mayer wiener and his schnitzel. (laughs) (laughs) It 
went to Dude Yo from Holes, Shia LaBeouf, uh-huh. when he like sat there and was like, tell me what you think about me or some oh, shit. Yeah, like, yeah. I was okay. like, okay, well, that's I random. I have no idea why, but it was like exposing <laughs> himself. Like, I don't know why Shia LaBeouf just came into my head. Oh my gosh. It's because he's damaged. <laughs> Damn. Go ahead. His dad was later interviewed and said that they knew that he was had these like odd behaviors as they called them, but they kind of ignored it because they were like, I mean, other than exposing himself to kids in the neighborhood, he was a good kid. <laughs> he didn't like drink. He wasn't doing drugs. He wasn't smoking, blah, blah. But yeah, I mean, he was just the flash. Meanwhile, he's like streaking through the mm-hmm. fucking neighborhood at 13. So there wasn't really much to flash. Damn. When he was in high school, well, by the time he was in high school, he had started molesting his younger cousins. Fuck. And then he would offer to babysit kids in the neighborhood. (gasps) Mm Mm-hmm. He nasty. Yep. Yep. And then at one point, I think his parents got divorced because his dad was dating a woman, and he molested that woman's kids. Oh, fuck. He was arrested for indecent exposure at the age of 15, but the police let him go, saying, like, just get him some counseling. So how he would, like, trick the kids, because he wasn't, at this point in time, using force to molest kids. He was would have, like, inappropriate contact with them through, quote, like, fun and games. Like, he would try to make a game of it. Like, he would dare the kids to run around naked. Mm. And um, Damn truth or dare gets you every mm-hmm. fucking time. He would play, like, games like spin the bottle, strip poker, skinny dipping, like you said, truth or dare. Yeah. He would do all of that to, ex- like, how, I love how this article says, exploit the innocent curiosity of kids. Yeah. And it also almost made the molestation to these kids seem kind of normal as part of that game. Right. And then he would, like, if one kid was like, oh, he would say, I've done this to other kids. They love this game. Right. So, yeah. So, he was good at the manipulation. And, like, he wasn't, I mean, he, as an adult, he damn sure wasn't attractive. But, like, as a teen, he wasn't unattractive. You know, so it was just, like, this kind of normal-looking guy that, like, he didn't look like what you think of when you think of, like, a teen predator. You know? Yeah. So he had, you know how I said he was arrested when he was 15? That wasn't the only time. Like, there was a bunch of, like, kind of off-and-on arrests where he would go in and out of court-ordered counseling, but never really attended it. Mm-hmm. At one point, do you say, hmm, this isn't working? He, well, you got to think this is the, he's born in 61, so we're talking, yeah. you know, mid-70s. I mean, hell, especially if he was molesting boys. Mm-hmm. They didn't even think that was a thing back then. Oh, you know? I know. Yeah. It's just so frustrating. So the kids that he had been molesting pretty regularly had started kind of moving away and all this stuff. And so he realized that he had to find new victims. And so kids that he didn't know that weren't part of the neighborhood, he realized he had to be a little more forceful with. So like one instance, there was a young boy out fishing alone in the woods First of all, why is a little boy alone in the woods fishing? But so he would go up to him and be like, hey, you want to see something really neat? You want to see my worm? Damn. (laughs) Got something to bait your hook. 
Sorry. In August of 1981, he tried to abduct two little girls, but it didn't work out. They notified the police. Good. Good. But they didn't do anything. Oh, of course. Yes. So, what's one to do when he's trying to get away from a neighborhood where he's less than all these kids and has been reported? He joined the Navy. Once he got into the Navy, he started abusing the kids who lived on the base. Oh, my gosh. He's got some fucking balls. He does. I know. One time, he offered a kid, a little boy, $50 to come with him to a motel room for a game of strip poker. This time, he was arrested. And... He did confess to the police that he planned to molest the boy. He was still released with no charges filed. Are you fucking kidding me? Nope. Not long after that, he was arrested again for exposing himself to a boy. And then that's when he was discharged from the Navy. He spent 19 days in jail and then had court-ordered counseling. So, clearly that's not working. Wow. Wow. It's... Oh, God. He would... Like, some of the places in which he would try to find, like, access to kids. And I'm, I also want to say that I'm saying all this stuff, too, because I think it makes us smarter as adults to know, like, how to yeah. teach our kids, like, stranger danger. And when you're looking at what are the places that he would go sure. to or what were the ways that he would approach kids. And, I mean, I know that this was middle, late 70s, early 80s and all, but... The tactics probably hadn't changed that much. Right. Other than, like, they're doing it on Fortnite now. Yeah. You know, but he would find kids at apartment buildings, like, outside playing and stuff. Of course, parks and all that. At... Roller skate rinks? (laughs) No. Convenience stores. He would even go, like, the charity trucks, their routes. He would, like, go on those, like, follow those and talk to kids and like he would also be on the trucks where he would go like pick up the donations from the house wow yeah so it's like you think that you're doing this good deed donating you know and this man's coming to pick it up like he's got to be fine well he's not yeah he was like i said with the he with the babysitting when he was a teen he continued that he took a co-worker's son on a fishing trip as a birthday present and abused him on the trip. And then he sexually abused his neighbor's two- and four-year-old kids. Oh, my gosh. He, oh, my gosh. But the mother didn't want, didn't press charges because she didn't want to traumatize the kids by having them, like, testify and all of that. Which I can, it's like, it's such a catch-22, because it's like, you can't understand that, especially now knowing what we know about the process after a sexual assault and, you know, going through the the hospital visit and the rape Mm -hmm. kit and all of that, and the retelling of it is just as traumatizing as the actual experience for some, and... So it's like I can get I t- I understand that I understand it, but I just couldn't live with myself knowing that he goes on to do that to other yeah people. Well, yeah, you're very black and white when it comes, you know, mm-hmm. which is okay. I mean, it's what makes the world go around. Where I'm a little more like mm, I can no, see I why. Get, yeah, no, I get that, but I just couldn't do that. you personally. Yeah, yeah. So in 1986, he's 25 at this time. He moved to Seattle. 
he says around this time he was feeling invincible because he can't get caught. Like, even when he gets caught, it's like a slap on the wrist. If let's that. make you go to counseling, which you don't really have to do. Mm-hmm. And there you go. Yep. And at this point, he had sexually assaulted at least 30 kids. Fuck. Yep. Also, I feel like a pause. Didn't we learn that we're not, we don't say molest, molestation. That's how I said it. We don't say molestation anymore. We, we call it sexual abuse mm-hmm. because it makes it sound not as bad. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to, so sorry that I said the wrong word all that time. At this point, he learned that if he actually commits the sexual abuse versus attempting it, he gets reported less. And so, like, he started being more forceful with it and, like, no, it's actually going to happen. Not just I'm going to try and fail. Like, no, it's going to happen. Yeah. This motherfucker for this next sentence that I'm about to tell you. This piece of shit chose the children who were most vulnerable and he had a roommate who had a two-year-old son who is two, couldn't, he couldn't speak yet because he was partially deaf. Oh, my gosh. And he, the, when the kid resisted him, he tied his hands up with a bathrobe and said that the idea of the force was exciting to him. Whoa. So, he at this point, he is going to counseling, but he's like, counseling wasn't going to stop me. Like, just the idea of it for him was honestly counseling probably is getting him off even more because he's able to relive stuff mm-hmm. exactly and so he was saying the more he thought about it the more excited he was and so the more he started to plan more aggressive things mm-hmm. and like how to actually kill a child god he said that he started thinking about different ways of like torture castration even cannibalism like why oh my god well, and the thing this is, is why I hate these kind of stories because I'm like, why? I need to know why, and there's never an explanation. Mm-hmm. It's like it's just how it was. I just wanted to do it. That's what I was attracted to. Blah blah blah. Well, and the thing too is that clearly this is something like this is not like a nature versus nurture. Like I mean, this started so early with him. Like this yeah. is who he is. Yeah. So, no amount of counseling, Mm -mm. he needs to be locked up forever because Mm -hmm. nothing is going to stop him. He cannot stop. And he needs solitary confinement because in prison, he would do the same thing. Mm -hmm. He just wouldn't have young, but he would get the youngest, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, in 1987 is when he was like, okay, it's time. I'm going to get me a, you know, I'm going to get a kid and I'm actually going to murder them. So he picked out a child. It was an eight-year-old that he met while he was working security at a construction site. Fuck. Mm-hmm. So on his day off, he drove to where he knew the boy lived and was trying to lure him into one of the vacant buildings. But the kid's stranger danger went off and was like, mm-mm-mm, I'm not going with you. And so he was like, well, can you help me find a lost, there's this lost little boy. Like, can you come help me find him? And the eight-year-old, like, oh, and he also said he was going to go home and get some toys for the kid. And that they would, like, come right back and they would look for him. Well, instead, the kids like, stayed inside his house, didn't go with him, and called his mom. 
And his mom was like, uh-uh, call the police. And was like, good. what the fuck? Yeah, good. Finally. Okay. <laughs> well. Oh, shit. Because he didn't actually do anything to that kid. Even though the prosecutors knew all about his past sexual offenses, they recommended five years in prison, but he spent 118 days in jail. Wow. Yep. So at this point, he's like, okay, look, he's 26 now. It's 1987. And he's like. I mean, all that 118 days did was give him 118 days of planning. Mm Mm-hmm. And pent-up aggression and everything else. So he came out ready to strike. September of 1889, he had moved to Vancouver, Washington, and was working as a shipping clerk at like a paper mill, I think is what it was. He would go to a local park there. David Douglas Park was the name of it, as a way to find victims he had gotten arrested like a few times more over the years for sexual abuse of kids. He would serve a short jail sentence, get more counseling. At this point, he had over 50 victims, all below the age of 12. Some oh, of them God. as young as two. Yeah, wow. Most of them were boys. What? So can I just say a caveat of a big, a fuck you. Right. I want to cut his dick off. No, I want to drip acid on it repeatedly. Oh, we're we're going that route. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, also, I was thinking with him being in Washington and stuff, this is the perfect time because people love to be outdoors there. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it is like smorgasbord yeah. for him. Picture it. It is Labor Day weekend, 1989. Okay, I have to read this verbatim from this article because it cracked me up. But it said that he positioned himself near a trail entrance at the park like a greedy little troll. (laughs) 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 And then, this sounds like a a, a Donna thing you would write. And then it said, waiting to to exact an extreme toll from his victim. Oh, shit. That does sound like something I'd say. It's genius. Oh, gosh. Okay. So that was on Saturday. Labor Day. Mm-hmm. And so he saw three boys walking, and I think he chickened out, to be honest. He probably um, came in his fucking pants, nasty motherfucker. Right. I don't want to say chickened out because fuck you. You know, like, yeah. actually doing it doesn't mean that he's not a chicken. It means it's just he's a piece of shit. But yeah, he couldn't. I guess he didn't. Do, couldn't do it. Anyway. Well, it's because he's like, oh, there's three of them. Mm-hmm. Because he's that. Because he's a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's got to go for the most vulnerable. The Yeah. Yeah. So he didn't do anything to the three boys walking. But he said that that, like, sparked more of, like, the, the violent fantasies. The next day, he, like, writes in his diary, like, he needs more time. And he's going to think about all these different types of ways that he can hurt the kids. All these blah, blah. We don't care about his actual words. So... By Monday, he was like, okay, I'm going to do it. Got his hunting gear together. And as as my coon-ass brother-in-law would say, he had his filet knife with him <laughs> to filet a fish. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the coon-ass way. Wait, I 
I thought you were saying it like be like gumbo. Yes, that, that's how. Yes. that's it. Yes. Oh, fillet. Yeah, I thought it fillet was a it's different like, thing. Probably got fish in it. I think. I don't know, but they call it a, like a filleting knife, mm-hmm. a fillet knife. The the kunas is yeah. Kunas has hit me up. <laughs> Please, because I thought that was a type of soup. I mean, gumbo. Okay. Who knew they just were saying it with an accent? <laughs> he had shoestrings to to tie the victims up to, oh, along fuck. with his fillet knife. Again, I was back on gumbo, and I was like, "Ooh, those shoestring onion oh, things!" I was like, "Ooh, those my jam, little crispy." Okay, sorry. A shoestring works because his victims are fucking young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my god. Yep. You put a shoestring on me, one, um, get the extra, extra wide because, like, I mean, I have you may no, as well get yeah. the curly cue kind at the end where you don't have to toss, <laughs> so you can stretch that bitch out. I mean, Mm-mm. I mean, get a yo, yo-yo or some shit to tie me up because <laughs> no shoestring gonna hold me in. Can't hold in my Fred Flintstone feet, definitely ain't holding in my wrist. You ain't lying because you only wear flip-flops. That's right. You I can't that- tame these beasts. <laughs> shit they spread easier than butter we don't need to know about your legs (laughs) so in the evening of that monday of labor day there are two brothers william who goes by billy and william's 10 and cole who is 11 Mm. i don't want that to be his name we'll tell him why oh well they know cole my nephew who did the this is kid friendly for creatures like me that's my nephew cole and so I don't want to say anyway. Okay. So they were riding bikes through Douglas, David Douglas Park on their way home. They were already late for dinner. And so they wanted to take a shortcut through the park. Oh, fuck. And what they were, what they had been doing all afternoon, this is pretty fucking smart. They were doing, like they were at a golf course and they were get, scooping up then returning the lost balls for money. Oh, Isn't that so gosh. smart? Fucking smart ass kids. Not smart ass. Smart kids. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that just breaks my heart. Their last thing, they were working on saving up to get something good, you Mm -hmm. know? And then hurrying home so they wouldn't get in trouble Mm -hmm. for being late for dinner. Like, just being kids. Mm Mm-hmm. So, they're biking down the dirt path, hurrying up, and they stop because there's a guy, like, standing in the path. The troll. mm Mm-hmm. Well, he told them told Billy and Cole, get off your bikes. I want you to come with me. And when Billy asked why, Wesley says, because I told you to. And then somehow they're not really sure exactly how he did it, but he got control over them. Like, in my head, I'm like, just start pedaling backwards. Like, just go. Turn around and go. You know, but it's... Have you ever ridden a bike? That's not how those work. No, I know. But, like, that's (laughs) what I'm saying. In my head, it's like... Just turn around and go. Turn around and go. Yeah. Like, don't try to go past him because he can get one of you. Yes. Turn around and go. But it's like, obviously, he... Well, he's an adult and they're kids and it's the 80s and they're like, Mm -hmm. I gotta mind this guy. Yep. And so... But I'm over here trying to will this to not be true. I know. After he gets control, two teenagers actually passed him with the boys and he told the boys to be quiet he led them off the trail 
left their bikes there where they couldn't be seen from the path and then took them to a more isolated spot. Gosh. Well, even if they would have said something that that he could have just been like, these are my kids, blah, 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 blah. And the teenagers, I mean, we're not going to say anything. Yeah. Well, hell, I was listening to an old Let's Not Meet episode. I think it was today I was listening to it. And it was about this little girl who was like, what was this? She wrote in. She's an adult now, but she was sitting in the shopping cart, and the mom, a random person, like her mom, had walked away to get something, and a random person started pushing her. And when she was like, "You're not my mom," the lady was like, "Stop! What game are you playing this time?" You know, yeah, to make it seem like, yeah, the kid was just being a shithead. You know, right? So he makes them stand with their backs to each other, and he ties their wrists together with the shoelaces. And he said that Cole kept asking over and over, like, why, why, the whole time. Oh, my God. Bless it. And then he told them that they were going to have to pull down their pants and that Cole asked, will it hurt? Oh, my God. And he told him no. So, Cole, because he had said, one of you need to pull down your pants. So, Cole said that he would do it, you know, protect his brother, whatever. Yeah. And, like, Cole kept saying, why are you doing this to us? They started panicking more. He sexually abused them and then told them that he would let them go. At this point, all of his attention was on Cole. Well, when I guess he got finished with Cole, he turned his attention to Billy, but Billy was crying too hard. And so he made both boys get on their knees, took out his knife, cut apart the string. And then Billy asked if he could go home and tell his dad they'd be late. Oh, my God. Break my freaking heart. Mm-hmm. And so he made Billy sit there while he assaulted Cole again and then told them just one more thing. And then as they sobbed and pleaded, he stabbed Billy in the stomach and then attacked Cole as he jumped up, catching him in his side. With a knife. No. Billy was able to run off towards this busy street. And so at this point, Wesley's like flipping because one's running, and, you know. And he sees Cole on the ground trying to defend himself. And so he stabbed Cole two more times until he stopped moving. And then he started running after Billy. He caught Billy before he made it to the road. Fuck. I was like, please let this be from... Billy's point of view, you know, he survived. God. Wrapped his hand around Billy's arm, pulled him back. Billy's screaming, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he stabbed Billy in the side of the shoulder. Oh, my God. And then he ran back into the woods, and he left Cole and Billy there to bleed to death. But they survived? He later came back to make sure that Cole was dead and to pick up any evidence that he had left but he had already gotten he like he'd already taken the shoelaces back like put them in his pockets and so then he just walked away because they were dead put his hands in his pocket and walked the fuck away they didn't survive no fuck i was hoping billy survived because you didn't say no oh carrie he's evil evil woman he did say that Billy's, like, pleading and saying, I'm sorry, like, ball and crying, did haunt him later. Well, uh, fuck you. The whole fucking thing should haunt you, not just yes. him saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, this story is going to haunt me. So, 
At this point, though, Billy is still alive. <laughs> oh, my God. You motherfucker. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I wish I could have seen her face. So, at first, the authorities thought that he w- it was just a hit and run. Like, they didn't look at his fucking body? Well, but all they saw was blood because it's, like, at the scene. And so, all they saw was yeah. blood. And they're like, okay, well, maybe he was hit by a car or something. And then, so they took him to the hospital, and they didn't even know who he was then. Like, they still had him at the hospital under Junior Doe. Like, they didn't even know who he was. And so, at this point, their parents are like, something's not right. So, they start getting search parties together because the kids hadn't come home. And also, at that time, they're realizing when he got there to the hospital, and he did die at the hospital, that... Maybe we should search for another vehicle, another victim, like, in the woods, since clearly this was not a hit and run. So, this time, it's, like, getting dark outside. It wasn't until 2 a.m. that they found Cole, right where Wesley Dodd had left him. Motherfucker. Yep. Man, I was really pulling for Billy over here. (sighs) Yeah, that was a hard story. That one was hard. I don't know. I just feel so sorry for... Everyone in the, I mean, you know, all of Mm -hmm. our victims, but she's kids, you know, it's like. So hard. So at this point, he's, you know, kind of reliving everything. And he's like disappointed because he didn't get to do everything to the boys that he wanted to do. Like eat them. (laughs) Damn. Motherfucker. But also your first time off the gate, you're going to try to get two people. Right. Like you dumb. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is dumb and terrible, but you know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. He does go into a whole, we just, we have an insight into his mind because he wrote all all these letters after he was captured that were like, kind of gave us like what he was thinking at the time. I'm not going to go into it because it's too much, but he basically kind of was starting to figure out that, okay, he didn't get to do as much to the kids as he had wanted, but he also realized that he got more of a thrill from the killing Versus the sexual assault. At this point, it's the end of September. It's the end of October, and he's moved to Portland, Oregon now, and he's ready to try it again. And so he's at this place called Oak Parks, and it's just just kind of crowded place with lots of kids. I mean, it's a fucking park. And he comes up to a little boy who's waiting on for a little ride there. And he asked the kid if he the kid, he wants to see something interesting. But just as he was trying to catch the kid, you know, get the kid, mm-hmm. the kid's dad walked up. And so he left. So he goes by. He starts driving back around. And like, at this point, I just wish that kid would have been like, that man wanted me to see something interesting. And that the uh-huh. dad would be like, oh, really? Well, show me, you motherfucker. Right. And beat his ass. It wouldn't have done anything. It no, made no, no. dad feel better, but and us, but it wouldn't oh, have done no, anything. No, I mean like beat his ass as in kill him. Kill him. <laughs> Just didn't want to be that wrong, but you know. So he went a bunch of other places, couldn't find a kid. So he's getting pissed and so he's like, Okay, the next day I'm gonna fucking do this. I'm gonna find a kid. Okay. So now we're on Sunday, October twenty ninth. And there's a kid named Justin and his little brother Lee. They told their dad that they were going to go to the school playground with another kid. And their dad was like, okay, they've been there a couple of times before. You know, there's three of them. Stay together. Watch out for strangers. You know, you know what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Yada, yada, yada. 
my God, this terrifies me and makes me so thankful that nothing ever happened to me. Because me and Tiffany would go to the upper elementary, the well, back in the day, third, fourth, and fifth grade. Mm-hmm. And we would play because they had the merry-go-round. Uh-huh. Love we that had that. Thing. We And hell, if someone would have came up and been like, I'll bet you we'd been like, okay, we both get to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Hell, I want to feel like we've done that. Probably. I mean, honestly, you probably did. You're probably lucky. Mm-hmm. He probably said, that short, squatty one's a talker. <laughs> you know how you always joke, like, when people, like, say they're going to take a kid and they're like, oh, they bring you back? Mm-hmm. No, you, that really happened to you, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, <laughs> probably did. Like, well, maybe, uh, no, no, it's not worth it. She won't shut the fuck up. <laughs> so, Wesley spotted... The four-year-old of the brothers, Justin and Lee. His mm-hmm. name was Lee Isley. And unless fucking Google's playing me again, and that ain't his role, <laughs> that's not how you pronounce it. And so he goes up to the kid and he's like, hey, how are you? And so Lee's like, hi. And he said, would you want to have some fun and make some money? And so at first he said that Lee was looked scared and was like, no, like shook his head, was like, you could tell he was scared. Child labor is wrong, dude. <laughs> Damn. But he, of course, kept on, kept on, you know, it was like insisted, reached his hand out for Lee to take his hand. And instinctively, Lee reached out and took his hand. Gosh. And so Wesley took him, who's just this cute little blue eyed little boy, blonde hair, Aww. cute little boy, took him to, started to go to his car. And Lee was like, I don't want any money. And so Wesley could tell that he was starting to get scared. And so he's like, it's okay. Your daddy sent me to get you. You know, it's okay. You can come with me. So put him in the car and started to drive off. And Lee was like, but I live the other way. Mm. And then he told him, you know, we're going to go to my house to play some games. Just do what I tell you. I promise I won't hurt you. And then he said, but you have to be quiet when we get there because my landlady doesn't like little kids. Oh, my God. Well, he also was, like, worried that his brother was going to be like, where are you? You mm-hmm. know? And so he was like, no, it's going to be okay. So at this point, they, when they get to Wesley's apartment is when Lee's dad is realizing, like, oh, wait, something's not right. Like, he's missing. Because the older brother had come home and was, like, frantic. Like, holy shit, I don't know where Lee is. Yeah. And he was like, you know, one minute I saw him over there playing. He was making, like, this slide thing, like, this volcano. He's like, one minute he's over there by the volcano, one minute he's gone. This is not the kind of kid that just takes off or not the kind of kid that gets easily distracted and wanders off because he's just distracted. When they got to his apartment, he took some pictures of Lee with his little Polaroid camera. Oh, God. He tied him to the bed, took more pictures, sexually abused him, then... Made him, like, just watch cartoons while he wrote in his diary. Yeah. Ew. Asked Lee if he wanted to spend the night. And, of course, Lee's like, um, no. And he says that his brother might miss him. And then Wesley was like, no, your brother's having fun, too. Like, don't worry about him. Oh, yeah. Then, listen how fucking ballsy this piece of shit is. He took Lee to Kmart to buy him a toy. And there, of course, Lee's, like, crying. An employee came up, concerned, and he said that he was like, it's okay, this is my nephew, I'm babysitting him, he just was ready to go home. Then they went to McDonald's. What? And 
in Vancouver, and this was only a couple of blocks away from where he killed Cole and Billy near. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Hell, he probably knew that, and that got him off, too. Yeah. So, he sexually assaulted him on and off throughout the night, taking breaks to record the shit in his fucking diary. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Well, one, splurging at a fucking video camera. So right. So, you don't have to take fucking right. notes. Oh, my God. So, eventually... Lee fell asleep, and he started strangling him while he was asleep. Well, Lee woke up, fought back as hard as he could. Then he, like, struggled. I mean, he strangled him unconscious, revived him. Oh, that piece of shit. And then strangled him with a rope and hung him in his (gasps) closet. Oh, my God. Yep. What? Yep. And took pictures of it with his camera. With his fucking Polaroid. Oh, my God. That's next level sick. Yep. So, then he just hides the body in his closet in case his landlady does come in, because he really did have one, and goes to fucking work. I could not be a serial killer or just a killer in general, because I'd have nervous belly (laughs) after all of this shit. I know. I know. There's no way I could, like, go to work regular. Like, they would catch me because... I would change my routine. Like, that's, like, step one of Mm -hmm. murdering someone. Don't change your routine. One, I'd be sweating down Mm -hmm. and having to shit the whole time. Yep. I'd be so fucking gaggy. I would throw up. Yeah. So, after he got off work, he was like, okay, I got to find a place to get rid of the body. And so, he took him to a dock near the paper plant he worked at and threw him in, like, some bushes in the back see and he didn't really want to eat little boys that's all fucking mm-hmm. fluff because he had plenty, plenty of fucking yeah. time but he also like he threw him like back in the brush but it was also still in enough plain sight that it was like just the way he discarded the body was kind of like a fuck you mm-hmm. which is fuck you dude yes fuck you for being fuck you with a discard you know uh-huh. And so, he burned his clothes in a barrel in the backyard, except... Did oh, he say his underwear? I'm about to say his underwear. His Ghostbuster underwear. Oh, my God. Kept that motherfucking underwear in his briefcase under his bed. First of all, you ain't a fucking professional. Why you got a goddamn briefcase? Right. Second of all, you gonna keep the fucking... Un- Fuck you. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Like, that breaks my heart. That hurts my soul. It wasn't until just a couple of days later, November 1st, that a hunter found the body and called the sheriff. And, you know, they figured out who it was. Bless his brother's heart. Bless his dad's heart. And hopefully his soul is at peace. So, not long after he killed Lee, he was going to try again. He went to the movies because he was like, okay, well, he's done all the parks and all that. Now he's got to find another place because, you know, it's getting mm-hmm. hot. They, You know, there's three kids now. And so he decided that a movie theater was the best place. He went to see Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, my god! Loved that fucking movie. Me too. Had it on VHS. Same. Recorded from the Disney Channel. Actually, I think same. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like figuring out from the audience who he's going to try to get. What day is this? I only ask because this is around Halloween, and Uh, I feel like that would be his prime time. It was around Halloween. 
I know, but like, I well, this like... is like in well, because remember they found Lee's body November first. Okay, I think it was like two days. I think he killed him on the twenty ninth. I think. I mean, like, well, he. I think he abducted him on the 29th. He actually killed him on the thirtieth. But it's like he's not smart. I know, but I'm just saying, out of all this shit, mm-hmm. you being incognito uh-huh. and lots of kiddos. Yep, and you can easily be like, here's some candy. Mm-hmm. But yep. I guess he didn't want easy anyway. He wanted no. He, hard. It was the he, thrill. Yeah. Oh my god. So he's like trying to figure out who he wanted. So he watches this young boy get up to start walking towards the aisle to go like to the lobby by himself. Little six year old boy. So he's sitting at the back of the theater. He's watching this. He's like, Oh, I'm going to get up. Like, I'm going to the bathroom too. Mm-hmm. So th- they meet and he like motions for the kid to walk first. And the kid's like, Oh, <laughs> thank you. And so, you know, the movies are going. Look, we all had friends that worked in the movie theater and hung out there with them. And by mm-hmm. that, I mean Donna and I did. <laughs> you know, when the movie's going, the employees are kind of chilling. Yeah. Cleaning up, making some stuff, you know. So all of the employees are out there just hanging out. Well, he follows the six-year-old boy into the bathroom. They start to hear a, this, a kid screaming from the bathroom. And then they see... Wesley died with the kid, like, over his shoulder. The kid's, like, hysterically screaming while they're leaving the bathroom. He's, like, telling the kid, calm down, son, calm down. Like, pretend like it's his kid. And so the the workers are like, you know, it's not the first time we've seen a kid throw a tantrum. But it was the kid screaming, help me, help me, that they were like, okay, this, this isn't right. Yeah. So they run after him he hurried through the street started losing his grip on the kid got to his car he's fumbling for his keys keeps like looking back to see it because they're chasing him and the six-year-old whose name was james he broke free and ran away as fast as he could he ran straight into one of the theater owners employees that were running towards wesley and then, like, just, like, grabbed onto one of their legs and oh said, my God. that man was going to hurt me. Oh, my God. Bless it. And so, they went back to the theater to find his mom. So, meanwhile, William Ray Graves, who was the boyfriend of James's mom, he heard the commotion after the kid left to go to the bathroom. So, he went to the lobby and he said, there was a fire in my eyes. It burned me up. The little guy is pretty close to me. I love him and I love his family. And so he saw that the abductor was in a mustard yellow Pinto station wagon. And so he ran out looking for the the car, chased him down, and the car was stopped on the street, stalled. Uh-huh. So he like made his way over there acting like, you know, as chill as he could. Like, yeah, like sneaking over there. Yep. And he was like, oh, man, you need help with your car? And Wesley Dodd was like, yeah, I do. And as soon as he got his chance, he, like, jumped on Wesley Dodd, grabbed him by his neck, and dragged him back to the theater. Hell yeah. Was like, you have just been detained. We are going to get the cops. That's what he told him. Citizens arrest. Citizens arrest. Yep, they tied his hands behind his back with a belt and made him sit his ass down until the cops got there. Hell yeah. 
Yep. That's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of action I like to see. Yep. And so because so James knew what to do if he went to get attacked because his mother had been so worried since the murder of Lee Islay and the near brothers, near brothers, that she taught him to like kick, scream, bite, yes. do whatever he could do. And they're like, the police are like, that boy's the real hero. Yes. So they've got him in custody. They're questioning him. And so. I, like a break from your story real quick. But, you know, they always say, don't scream, help me. Because yeah. people won't help. So I was always like, free money. Like, that's what I was going to scream is. Yeah. That's what it is. Because, I mean, I'd be like, what? Right. But I was in Alabama with my cousin and her friend, Shannon. And we were at my cousin's apartment. This was like forever ago. Forever ago. Yeah. I mean, she married with a kid and a house now, but whatever. And we were by this creepy ass door that was open, but it was black and I was like so if someone jumped out of there what would you say and she said Alejandro Alejandro because it's when Lady Gaga (laughs) (laughs) and like how she said it like I will never forget that I was like I mean that would get my attention I'm just saying damn but so like what would you scream not Alejandro (laughs) racist much (laughs) well she said it more in the um in Lady Gaga's voice yes Alejandro Alejandro no (laughs) I, I don't Meanwhile, know. we would hear that and be like, rah, rah, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> just be like, uh, we got you. Let us know what you would scream. Oh, true, 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 true. Yeah. Good, good thinking. Yeah, because I, I do want to hear, well, I don't, I never want to hear those words come out of your mouth. Because, but if they had to, know. type it to us. Yeah, type it to us. Let us know. Okay. So police interrogate him for about three days, and then he ends up confessing to all three murders. The end. No. <laughs> That's about how I usually end my shit. I take so long to go through the details and they get to the end and I'm like, done. So they serve the search warrant to his room that he's renting. They find his, he had like a homemade torture rack. Um, oh my God. Newspaper clippings about all the crimes. The briefcase containing the underwear. Mm-hmm. Photo albums containing pictures. Of Lee and a bunch of other kids. Well, at least he's documented every fucking thing. Mm-hmm. He's laid it out for him. And his fucking diary. Yeah. He was like, oh, let me, oh, wait, before I come, let me document yeah. that I almost came. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I wonder far. if it was sticky. The pages were sticky. Now you fucking nasty. <laughs> <laughs> I am nasty. Meanwhile, I think I made that joke in another thing. <laughs> okay. So, he ended up getting charged with first-degree murder for all three, as well as the attempted kidnapping for the six-year-old old James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Initially, he pled not guilty. Oh, fuck. But then, against his attorney's wishes, he ended up pleading guilty on all counts. Then... If he says I'm insane and blah, blah, blah... No. So... Be like, motherfucker, you had counseling. So there was no trial to, like, say whether he was guilty or not, but there was a jury was needed to decide whether or not to give him the death penalty. The jury was six women, six men. One of the jurors nearly passed out listening to parts of the diary that were read. They heard about his plans for future victims, which were included mutilation, dismemberment, 
Ivy death. Cannibalism. Yeah. They, the defense did not call any witnesses. They did not present any, anything. They just said that only an insane person would write that. So. Well, I stand by saying, again, he had fucking therapy and shit anyway. Yeah. So for you to say that, null and fucking void. Yep. So he did get the death penalty. And he said that, like, I must be executed before I have the opportunity to escape or kill again. If I do escape, I promise you I will kill and rape again, and I will enjoy every minute of it. Mm. During his trial, he actually wrote a pamphlet for parents on how to protect their kids from sexual abuse. Oh, my gosh. Yep. He said that he wanted to die by hanging. Well, yeah, because he liked that. Uh, True. And so... Please tell me they didn't do it. If someone said that's how they wanted to go... So, there was only a four-year span between his murders and his execution. Like, he was caught and boom, let's get this shit done. The ACLU was involved because they were like, we cannot hang him. Like, that is cruel. That's cruel and unusual punishment. Sidebar, he wanted it. So, why would you give him something he wanted? You know, other people were saying, like, don't give him what he wants. Mm -hmm. First of all, don't let him die a martyr being like, oh, take me because I can't be good kind of thing. Yeah. And um, first of all, stone that motherfucker to death. Well, and with they're acid soaked stones. Damn. And they're saying too, like, make him live in a jail cell by himself mm-hmm. and live this out for the rest of his life. Don't kill him four years later and he never have to deal with it. You know, he was. Honestly, I don't know if that would hurt him or not. Like, you know, I said that too, like solitary confinement. However, by now, he has so many memories to think about and to fantasize. hmm Like, he could just live within himself. True. True, true, true. Well, so he was, in fact, hanged. There were 12 people that witnessed it. His last meal was salmon and potatoes. The last words he sp- were, that were spoken were, I once was asked by someone, I don't remember who, if there was any way sex offenders could be stopped. I said no. I was wrong. I was wrong when I said there was no hope, no peace. There is hope. There is peace. I found it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, God. Look to the Lord and you Literally. will find peace. And then he was executed by hanging at 12.05 a.m. on September 5th, January 5th, 1993 at the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla, Washington. And, <laughs> okay, this is I got I to gotta end with this because... There was also, like, he was, like, one of the very last people to ever ever be hanged, like, okay. in the United States. So, that was kind of a big deal, too. But <laughs> I got to end with this because it's so terrible. Outside the prison for the people who were, like, yes, hang him. They were chanting rhymes like, what the heck, stretch his neck. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and if I was out there, I'd be, like, pour some acid, make him flaccid. <laughs> Oh, my God, that's funny. All right, so mine's not like yours. (laughs) It's not going to make me cry or bring out the serial killer in me. Clearly. I mean, only two episodes have really brought out serial killer in me. Do you remember the first one? (sighs) Yeah, it was that couple, I think. Mm -mm. 
Ed Kemper. Oh, was it? Uh-huh. I know that couple really got you lit, too. Oh, that couple. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that couple. I don't remember Ed Kemper getting you lit, but I do he remember. He didn't get me lit. He just brought out my cuckoo-ness. Of, That's true. Yeah, he did. That's true. Because I was talking about the cat kebabs. <laughs> <laughs> Too far. Okay. So, yours was up north. We're going down south to Alabama. Oh, Alabama. The Siamese twin to Mississippi. <laughs> yes. Never heard that before. I made it up. Really? Just then, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I mean, unless I've heard it somewhere and don't remember it. But <laughs> I Tally for fucking Carrie, because that was funny. Meanwhile, we're going to get emails that's like, mm, no, that's a saying. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I know, okay. And then I take that tally away. Yeah. And put it in my stack. Yeah, that's not how that works. It just... <laughs> Null and void. Yeah. Okay. Erases it. So we're going to Birmingham. I love Birmingham. Me too. So it was born out of the Civil War. Birmingham was? Mm-hmm. Because men of industry, so they're like, these rich mineral resources are the bomb. Mm-hmm. And so in Birmingham, they had iron core, nope, iron ore, coal, and limestone. All ingredients that you need to make iron. So a reported 19 furnaces were built, and it included two by Colonel James Withers Sloss. Okay. Which reminds me when you were drunk and you would say Joss instead of That was of Tiffany. Josh. Oh, I thought it was you. Uh-uh, it was Tiffany. But every time I read this, like, yeah, I would read Sloss, Joss. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Which Maybe. Is, which is why we don't drink anymore, because that's who we are when yes. we drink. <laughs> and it's really fucking funny. <laughs> to us only. To us, Yes. <laughs> Not anyone else, which is, again, why. Mm -hmm. Just give me cheesecake. Yeah. So, Colonel James Withers Sloss, he was a North Alabama merchant and railroad man. So, he was like, I'm jumping in on this shit. So, he had two, like I said. And in its first year of operations, his furnace had sold 24,000 tons of iron. Cool. Just one? Well, I think it's the two. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Wait, wait, shit. Yeah. At the 1883 Louisville Exposition, the company won a bronze medal for best pig iron. What is pig iron? I looked it up because I was like, what? Crude iron. Oh, okay. As opposed to polite iron. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. All I can think about is that crude oil, Mm -hmm. and it's like... Raw, kind of? Yeah, but it's like liquid gold or whatever they say on Beverly Hillbillies. Never watched it. Really? Now, Mm -hmm. I watch that some, but you watch every other fucking oldie but goodie. And I guess maybe why they called it pig was that it would be obtained by like a smelting furnace in the form of oblong blocks. So maybe, I don't know, like... Maybe how it came, like, it would be, like, pigs, pigs like, eaten in a trough kind of mm-hmm. thing. Also, how are people so fucking smart right. to figure out, one, what to do with this shit, but, two, how to get it out mm-hmm. of the earth? I know. Or, let's just back all the way up 
and know what to even begin to do with it to figure out what to make with it (laughs) and how to get it out. Yes. So from 1882 to 1971, the sloth furnaces transformed coal and ore into hard steel that would pave the way for the Industrial Revolution. What? Mm-hmm. So it's been used in skyscrapers in New York, automobiles built in Detroit, and a lot of bridges in the South. Damn. There's also a Mercedes plant there. That's mm-hmm. why a lot of people in Birmingham drive Mercedes. Yeah. Because Birmingham grew to a huge city, booming because of all of this, basically overnight... It earned the nickname the Magic City because it was magic how fast it populated and yeah. was booming. But with all this progress, a price was paid mm-hmm. and nothing that comes overnight like that, especially now that what we know about back in the day, mm-hmm. everything came with a price. Mm-hmm. Lives. Yes. Why? Why you got to steal my shit? So, if you worked at Sloss Furnace, it was a good chance that you might die every day. What? If it wasn't the noxious gases that, you know, poisonous. Yeah. It was the equipment. Oh, yeah. Or you had to walk up tall little catwalks and you could just, bing, right over and die. Like, a death that old... Well, well, whatever his name is, Walter Welly. What was it? Wesley, Wesley Dodd. Uh huh. Him. He should have worked here. Mm-hmm. So with all of that, it makes a perfect place to be haunted. Mm-hmm. And today, Sloss is the only 20th century blast furnace in the U.S. being preserved, and it's interpreted as a historical industrial site. So you can go and. Like, walk it and see all the shit about And fall it. off a catwalk? No, thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't go up there. Or later on, we'll learn that you can, but you have to sign a waiver. I was about to say, all you got to do is <laughs> sign a fucking waiver. Yeah. So. Would you do it? No. No, especially not with you, because your ass would lose balance a little and bit. reach for you. Reach for me. You'd stay alive, and I'd be like, bye. <laughs> I'd say, mama, 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 mama. <laughs> okay. So, you can imagine that this place was not the place you really wanted to work. Right. It said that during the summer, it would get to 120 degrees. Sign me not up. You'd have lack of sleep, the heat, low visibility from the gases. It would be... Legit living hell. First of all, you lost me at heat. Right. Second of all, you got a big fucking nope, hell fucking nope out of me when you said I'm going to lose my damn sleep. (laughs) Yes. And so because of this, only the poorest of workers desperate for employment would take it. Right. The poorest population would take these on because risky work is better than no work. Right. There were no breaks, no holidays. There's only the furnace, coal, and you doing your fucking job or dying. Damn. It was said in the dead of winter, they would be burning on their front side. (gasps) 
but their backs would be like so cold. Really? Mm-hmm. Because they were with the open flame this way, mm-hmm. but they were out in the open. It's all open. So when it's 30 degrees oh, or true. 20 degrees, especially Birmingham. I was going to say, it's fucking cold in Birmingham. Yeah. So they, I mean, can you imagine the sickness that they probably had from being hot and cold and like your yeah. body not? I don't know why I was picturing them in a cave. Uh-uh. Like, you know, like a coal miner, like that's what I was picturing. Yeah, no. This is like how, yeah, like the oil, like how they have those long things and they like, yeah, Yeah, that's exactly what they did. (laughs) So they had tons of accidents. One, it said that a worker's clothes, like his clothing got caught Mm -hmm. in the boiler cog wheel. (gasps) And it dragged him into the machinery, and his coworkers could do nothing, and they just watched the wheel slowly crush him to death. Fuck. Other stories are people getting caught in, like, violent bursts of steam. Ouch. And that would... You remember how we talked about, like, the degloving? Yeah. They would, like, deglove your body. Yes. In Blower Room 1, there were 10 machines called... Ingersoll Ram Turbo Compressors. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know those. Yeah. And one time they were replacing one of the valves to the machines and the workers bought the wrong kind of valves. Oh, no. And it caused it to seize up, the compressor to seize up, lock tight, and then split the steam line. So all the workers did this, like, quote, unquote, fix and so they, like, welded a plate over the break in the steam line. That's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Then they fired up the compressor again, which caused the entire safety valve to produce a massive explosion, leaving all the workers badly scalded, but alive. Oh, God. Yes. It said that most of the horrifying accounts are vague and impossible to verify because... They died. Yes, they died. And, again, they're the poorest of the poor. Mm -hmm. So nobody believed them. Yes. And it said that it's impossible to verify those several men, most of them black laborers, indeed did die on the job. There was an author, W. David Lewis, and he described an accident where two men were cleaning the interior walls of Number One Furnace. And were overcome by the fumes and fell into the smoldering materials below. Oh, my God. Ten years later, the New York Times wrote about a scaffold collapse at the Sloss, and it killed two men and injured six others. In 1897, the Times published another article about Sloss. It makes me feel like I'm saying that wrong. Yeah. Uh, Sloss, and this one was about a young man discovered in the water tank. There was no workers' comp. Like, there's right. no, there's no, hey, you got injured on the job. We're going to fix your injury. Right. Pay for your surgery or pay for your rehab or whatever. Yeah, you and work or you don't work. Yeah, and there's definitely no death benefits. Right. You know? So it's like these families who were already distraught and mm-hmm. in a place where... They're taking a job like this, mm-hmm. and then the able body worker dies or yeah. gets injured to a place where they could possibly need to be taken care of or 
either way, not able to work. Yeah. That's so hard. And I'm so thankful I've never been in that position. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it's the, I mean, it's the impossible decision. Mm -hmm. And sadly, that's what America's built on is Mm -hmm. this impossible shit. Mm -hmm. Where you had the one guy making all the fucking money. Mm Mm-hmm. And then all the other guys dying for them to make that money. Yeah. And it's literally you work until you can't work anymore and then you're fired or you're dead. Mm -hmm. Like that's it. Mm -hmm. Because I don't care if you get scalded or whatever. If your arms and legs can still work, you're working. Mm -hmm. You know? Those people are more resilient than I would ever be. Oh, God, yeah. So like we just talked about, it was in... Inhumanly terrible. And the worst of the worst was the graveyard shift. Because it had a foreman named James Slag Underwood. Slag was his little nickname. Mm -hmm. So graveyard is between sunset and sunrise. And it was a skeleton crew of nearly like 150 workers. And they had to keep the furnace fed going Mm -hmm. and it's like that's not a lot of workers to do what they do during the whole day i was gonna say for the same amount of work Mm -hmm. but like yeah it doesn't slow down right and these workers were mostly recently arrived immigrants and they were forced to live in cramped houses located on the furnace site and that means that they would be forced to work at a moment's notice So, to impress his supervisor, Slag, he would make his workers do dangerous tasks, you know, make them do all these really close call shit to be like, oh, look what they can do. Mm -hmm. Look at him under his supervision there, blah, 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 blah. And it would help them speed up production, you know, taking these shortcuts and stuff and Again, anytime you take shortcuts, Mm -hmm. during his reign, 47 workers lost their lives. God. Ten times more than any other shift in the history of the furnace. Fuck. Mm Mm-hmm. Countless others lost their ability to work due to accidents, mishaps, and there was a recorded explosion in the small blowing engine house in 1888 that left six workers burned blind. However, on October of 1906, James, old Wormwood, he lost his footing at the top of the highest blast furnace, which was known as Big Alice, and he plummeted into a pool of melted iron ore. Oh and my God. his body melted instantly. <gasps> okay, so this is what they say. That he must have become dizzy from the methane gas created by the furnace and lost his balance. But he never set foot on the top of that furnace in all of his years of employment. So why would he be up there now? Yeah. Because that's the kind of shit that he would make them do. Mm-hmm. So... Word on the street is that the workers had finally had a nerf. A nerf. They had a frickin' nerf. <laughs> holla frickin' lear. So they had enough of him being a bully, mm-hmm. basically, and fed him into the furnace. You know, like, so he Damn. Got, was like. He got got. Mm-hmm. Pushed over, and they were like, bye. Bye-bye. 
but no workers were ever brought to trial because... Prove it. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. back in the day, 1906, they didn't have fucking cameras. Mm-hmm. And ain't no one going to be like, oh, let's go up there, see what we... Like, no one wants to go up there. Mm-mm. And if they send someone of the, like, the poor worker up there, he's going to be like, nope, can't see anything. Yeah, he might. <laughs> he fell. Lost his footing. <laughs> like, sorry. After that, they discontinued the graveyard shift. And they said that numerous accidents and strange incidents... And it ended up decreasing the steel production because of all of these incidents. Mm-hmm. And they were paying people, you know, they were losing money Yeah, with all this. So the Birmingham police have over 100 recorded reports of unexplainable activity that has been experienced by people at Sloss. And again, these are just the ones that have been reported. Right. You know. To police, too. So. Right. Some of the reports are the steam whistles blow on their own, disembodied footsteps, unexplained bangs and screams, reports of shadowy figures, orbs, and white mist are also common. One of the hauntings, it appears to be a man named Thelophilus Jowers, and he was extremely proud to be part of the iron industry, which breaks my heart. He often bragged to his wife and his friends that the furnace was his friend. Oh, Yeah, so he's just, you know, making his life, but then died on, you know, doing his job. Yeah. He slipped and fell in one of the furnaces. Oh, God. And it's believed that he felt little to no pain and that his death was instantaneous. But... They believe that his spirit still walks among the catwalks and performs his duties at Sloss. Because it's what he wanted to do. Yeah, he was having his, he was living his best life. Yeah. In 1926, a night watchman, he sustained some injuries after being pushed from behind and told by an angry, deep voice to get back to work. And the man, um, you know, the night watchman, after he searched and was like, who the fuck pushed me? Yeah. You know, could find no signs of anyone. Yeah, because it was slugger. Mm-hmm. Slag. Same thing. <laughs> Along with that night watchman, it seemed like the legend of slag grew every year, mm-hmm. you know, and workers started to complain about an unnatural presence that they would encounter throughout the work site and who would be more of an angry spirit. And they felt like like someone over them and being overbearing, you know, someone like breathing down their neck. Yeah. Which that is not what you want when no. you're like, you know. In a high stress job. Yeah, could die. Because like you can't just like look behind you all the time because if you. Right. In 1947, three supervisors turned up missing. They were found unconscious. You know, I can't say that word. You did it. Oh, good. Telly for Donna. And locked in a small boiler room in the southeastern part of the plant. None of the three could explain what happened to them. And they said that they all were approached by a man whose skin appeared badly burned and who angrily shouted at them to push some steel. In 1971... The night before the plant closed. God, that was over a long time. 
Mm-hmm. Almost 100 years. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> in 1971, Samuel L. Jackson. He saw motherfucking snakes on a plane. <laughs> Dumbest movie ever. <laughs> Samuel Blumenthal. He was the night watchman. And he was, like, just taking a look around, you know, like, this was a good old mm-hmm. time, you know, like, whatever. Blah, 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 blah. good riddance, motherfucker. Yeah, he's like, motherfucker. Last day. <laughs> That's the best feeling. When's your last day on a job? Oh, my God. Like, How many fucks do I give? <laughs> zero, zero, zero. <laughs> He's like, tomorrow's Friday. I ain't got no job. I ain't, I ain't got, got no shit, shit to, to do. do. <laughs> he said that he found himself face-to-face with, quote, the most frightening thing he had ever seen. He described it as evil, a half-man, half-demon who tried to push him up the stairs. And when he refused, the monster began to beat on him with his fist. Oh, my God. Upon examination by Dr. Jack Barlow... Blumenthal was found covered with intense burns, and he died before ever returning to Sloss. The guy? Mm-hmm. Because he had, he was badly burned. From being attacked? Mm-hmm. By a demon man? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's exactly what I just said, Carrie. Holy shit, he Fucking died? armchair detective over here. Damn! I can't believe he died. I know, and he's. They say that of those reports that have been reported, <laughs> as one does, <laughs> those incidents that have been reported, the majority of them happen in the months of September and October at night during the old graveyard shift. Why those months, though? I wonder. I don't know. I wonder if. I don't know. That was a good wonder, Carrie. Well, I was just thinking. I wonder if that was like their active time or. I don't know, or if it was like right around the time that Slugger died. Slag, but yes, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying well, to it out. is in October. He did die. Well, that's why. Look, see, there you go. <laughs> Armchair detective for the win. Armchair. <laughs> that's how I said it. So, in 1988, there was a study conducted by the Center for Paranormal Events called the CPE in Saint Petersburg, Florida. And it was on the Sloss Furnaces. And it said that while there were no events out of the ordinary, and the study occurred during May. Not, well, that's why. Mm-hmm. You got a good peak season. Exactly. They said many of the team members, including two psychics, claimed that due to the violent disregard for and the loss of life, it should be considered a location rife for restless souls. Bless it. In the year 2000, it was studied once again by a paranormal team of Fox's Scariest Places on Earth. You never watched that? No. Oh, my God. I know I've talked about it. They would split the families up and they'd have to go. Don't split me up. Mm-hmm. So they'd be like, hey, Mom, go, like, you know, the producers. Yeah. Go up to this attic Read this letter that, you know, blah, 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 wrote and blah, blah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so they'd have to be there in the dark, like, with their little flashlight. With bait. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. Yes. So they were, pre, they were pre-ghost adventures, how he will put Nick and all of them. Yeah. 
in <laughs> shit. Nope. Yeah, that's how they would do it. And I used to want to do that so bad because they would do it around Halloween and shit. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I think Linda Blair was the host of, of it. Hmm. And with that study that they had, they concluded that it was one of the highest rates of unnatural energy that they've encountered. Golly. Yeah. In early 2002, this team from CBS affiliate WJTV investigated the site, and they were, like, skeptical going into this. They left frazzled and convinced that it was haunted because they captured some footage that they actually have on their site. So I'll link that in the awesome uh, show notes. Show notes, yes. But they heard whistles, yelling, but it was all stuff that they didn't hear while they were doing their EVP sessions. Uh, it was all on the tapes. Gotcha. Yeah. Then they were in the some tunnels, and they heard knocking. And when they were asking how they died, the ovulus that, like, answers with words. Yeah. It answered killed. Holy crap. Mm-hmm. I thought you weren't supposed to ask how they died. Well, these people were skeptical. Okay. And, you know, being okay. what they would be. It was also investigated in 2003 by the Alabama Foundation for Paranormal Research, and it was quoted that saying that it was no no doubt that it was a hotspot for paranormal activity, and during their investigations, they pulled data that confirms through their scientific methods and approaches that energies are present and they cannot be explained. I'm going to need to see that scientific study. Right. I need to see their methods, please. Yes, that's why I said it like that. Our yeah. Scientific methods and approaches. But they said that Sloss is one of the most paranormally active places that their team has investigated. On October 4th of 2003, another assault happened, but it was to one of their crew members, Josh Thomas. Okay, so this was bad on my part because I wrote this down, but I, it said it was one of their crew members. I'm pretty sure it was that Alabama Foundation for Paranormal Research but I'm not 100%. Sorry. I blame this on uh, Thanksgiving and us doing this early. I'm so sorry. Uh, I like it. I'll take it. Okay, thanks. Tally for Carrie. <laughs> I'm just giving you one to, you know. Oh, okay. To feel better. Thanks. 2003, Josh Thomas. And that guy had actually worked at Sloss for some years. Mm-hmm. He suddenly caught fire after seeing a strange shape there, and he suffered burns up and down his body and was taken to the hospital, and he still cannot recall what happened. What? Yeah, and strangely enough, this was almost on the exact 32nd anniversary of Samuel Blumenthal, who was attacked and burned to death. You know, he was a night watchman yeah. in 1971. So... Dibbick Douche. They were there, too. Of course he was. Mm -hmm. So, on their walkthrough, Brooke Bowen, she was an eyewitness. She saw a grayish figure peeking its head out and then immediately disappearing. Then, Kevin Walden, who was 
an he was a local paranormal investigator, but he was an eyewitness to this claim. He said that while he was in the boiler room attempting to film, his camera and other equipment clicked off and died in rapid succession. And he was slapped full force across the face by something he could not see, leaving a visible handprint on his face shortly after. Uh-uh. He said he came, he went running back outside to where his friend Josh Craig was, and he was, like, obviously terrified. Yeah. And he said that the strange thing about the point of impact is that to the touch, it was extremely cool. Hmm. A former worker at Sloss Furnace, Houston Williams, he led Zach and them into an underground or transportation tunnel where an apparition of a man has been seen. He said he even saw him when he worked at that place 40 years ago. And Sarah Knight, who is the Sloss venue coordinator, she explains that shadows of men are regularly seen at either end of the tunnel. And as you walk through it, you can hear the sounds of worker going, like work going on behind and around you. Wow. So they had access to the entire plant because they did sign a waiver Mm. and they went up to the top of the catwalk and stuff. But at 8.15, before they really prepared to like lock down and shit, Zach sees a dark male figure wearing blue overalls and a white t-shirt, which was a typical worker's uniform. Yeah. There. So then they hear some footsteps so they're like pumped up. Yeah, you know, here we go, like here we go. lock this mm-hmm. shit down. If they were ghost bros, they'd say pop, pop that, that trunk. trunk. Yep, that's what I was thinking when you said it. <laughs> uh, they asked questions in the tunnels, and they could hear like a voice of a little child. Mm-mm. Yeah, and then Aaron was like poked in the eye by something that wasn't there, and they said since they were. At that same spot, it could have been that unseen force that slapped yeah. that other guy. So they continued walking through the tunnels, and Aaron said that he would hear footsteps like walking pretty fast up behind him the whole time. Mm-mm. So after midnight, their investigations up above ground again, and like they set up where you know, like he saw that dark entity and everything, but they heard. Again, the sounds of workers pounding on the old metal. Can you imagine? No. And they heard, like, pipe noises. And they saw, like, a glowing mist briefly form. This was funny. Nick, he captured a, like, he can hardly understand it, but it's an EVP. Mm -hmm. And it appears to say, I hate Zach. No. (laughs) Yes. I'm like, uh, don't we all? mm -hmm. Join the club. There's a group for that. (laughs) Right. Zach hears some noises. His body gets very cold. Did he get possessed and turn angry? He didn't this time. Well, I'll be damned. Mm -hmm. But he looked at the camera and said, I need an extra large pizza to warm me up. And then Donna said, not this time, motherfucker. I said, okay. Mm." I mean, I wouldn't tell my friends about it, but I would totally still do it. You better tell me. I mean, of course, I'd be like, uh, but first, let me take a selfie. So, of course, he's, like, goading the fucking spirits, as he does. And he gets, like, a really loud screeching noise in response. And then he hears, like, a really breathy EVP 
that's like, come here. That was me saying, I'll warm you up. Damn. (laughs) They get other EVPs that sound like males who are screaming. God, could you imagine? No. Then, like, Aaron is watching the camera at Nerve Center. It's in the underground tunnels, and it's focused on Nick. Then Nick immediately bolts up and, like, is startled and about to run away. And Aaron's like, "Mm, maybe I need to meet up with him. Something's going on. But apparently he's fallen down. So he said that he heard the breathy come on. Mm -hmm. And so right after Nick tripped and fell, the static night vision camera recorded a faint image of a mist-like feature. Mm -mm. Nope. Mist-like figure floating and morphing at the far end of the tunnel before disappearing into thin air. First of all, all I think of when I hear misting like that is that my hair is going to be extra curly (laughs) because of all the fucking humidity. It'd be like, I farted. I'm sorry. You see it on the thermal imaging? I had wards. Oh, you don't know what wards is. It's a local place that serves chili on their hamburgers. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, so at the end, they do, like, verify some EVPs and stuff. But that mist-like figure underground, it really does appear to be human-shaped when Mm -hmm. they, like, review it. Yeah. But they survived. Imagine that. You know, because that was, like, earlier on. Which is why he probably didn't get possessed, because it was earlier on. (laughs) Yeah, he didn't understand. They hadn't hadn't worked that part of the show out Mm -hmm. yet. It happens every time. And he he hadn't been in Demon House yet, so he didn't have the double vision. Oh, true. Yeah. Did he wear a respirator? No, he didn't. See, he wasn't extra yet. (laughs) But, I mean, he was wearing those damn jeans he thinks makes him look so good, and it's just not. No. You look like you're trying. Yeah. Stop with the jeans. Like, just come here, baby. Let me take them off of you. Damn. I thought you were over him. I am, but I'd rather be on him. Okay. (laughs) You're going to be over him, just over on top of him. Yes. Okay. I mean, he's stupid, but, I mean, we all have those hall passes, okay? It's true, true, true. I mean, he might try to make up for it during sex. True. Be like, work for it. Work it, work it. Mm-hmm. That was a good one. I liked it. Thank I liked you. the history behind it. Thank you. It made me Thank sad. You. I know. I know. I'm so glad. Well, I mean, there's still places that they have to work in conditions like that, but it's more safety involved mm-hmm. and stuff. But it's just, ugh. I'm glad some shit has changed. Yeah, absolutely. And it just, it breaks my heart about the guy who loved working there and his spirit still is there. I know. Like, gosh, it just, I want to meet him. I know. Not, not I want to meet his spirit. (laughs) Well, I would meet his spirit because it's like not on the catwalk and, you know, he's friendly. I mean, I could do the catwalk if it had like a, you had like a bungee cord attached to you. <laughs> like, you know, you're yeah. in a harness. So it, when you fall, you're caught. Mm-hmm. But, mm-mm. Mm-mm. Dang. Okay, so what did we learn this week? Sloss is hard to say. <laughs> it is. And, yeah, and that motherfucker had all these people doing the hard shit. Mm-hmm. And he was just. He got got, though. Chilling in, I don't know, shit in high cotton. Yep. But for real, for real, number one, it would be that 
when shit looks like it happens overnight, there's a lot of hard work that mm-hmm. goes into it. Oh, for sure. In anything. For sure. Just usually not brutal work like this. Golly. Number two, stranger danger. Talk to your kids. Yes. It is real. It's so scary. Have you seen those? It went viral. It was this guy, and I don't know if it was true or not. Like, I don't know. Yeah. But it was this guy who would go and get kids, like, be like, hey, you want to come see my puppy or whatever? Yeah. And it would show how easily. Yes. Like, you know, they would just come, and then yep. he would go take them to their parents. Exactly. You know? And the parents are like, no, he she wouldn't fall for that. No, she yes. wouldn't. He wouldn't fall for that. What, yada, yada. But they're, like, watching behind mm-hmm. camera. Yep. That is terrifying. I think one of the most important things that I've heard, and I can't remember where I heard it, but it was that they said that an adult will never need a kid's help. Yes. And so, if you teach your kid that, an adult is never going to need your help to find a dog to... Whatever. Yeah. Move something. or That's so true. And so, if you can just teach your kid that. Yeah. That, I don't know. I don't I, That, to me, was like, oh, that's so true, though. Like, mm-hmm. there's nothing that these predators can say right. to make your kid go with them if your kid knows. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that this person should need my help yeah. with. Also, just thinking about this, and I could be completely wrong because I don't have kids, as we all know. But... I would say teach your kids that, but also let your kids help you so they're not just jumping at the opportunity to help someone. Because they're attention-seeking and Mm -hmm. all that. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, Number three. Number three, Donna cannot handle. I might not love kids and have kids, but I do not like crimes against kids. Yes. And, yeah, that was a hard one. That was really hard. Again, me and Billy. (sighs) But... We're going to turn it around and we're going to make it, we're going to say what we're thankful for about it. I'm thankful that Fuckface was caught. Yes. That that kid was so incredibly strong and so was his, hopefully, soon to be stepfather. Right. I mean, put a ring on that guy's Uh finger. And I'm thankful that it all worked out. Yeah. And on the keeping up with the thankful thing, we're thankful so much for y'all. Yeah, listening and doing all the shit that you do with us, the liking and subscribing and downloading and reviewing and sharing, ha- hanging out with us on the different social media sites, the mm-hmm. groups, the all watch that. parties. Yes, sharing all your stories. We are so thankful for y'all and just thankful that y'all are making this dream come true. Seriously, we love this and we love getting to know y'all. Totally thankful. For y'all, she hinted on it, but if you have a story to tell us, be it creepy, like ghosty, true crimey, any kind of E, mm-hmm. <laughs> weirdy, yeah, send it over to us. Any like mishaps, like, oh my God, could have been a or, crack in the matrix, yeah, or I uh, could have almost died, yes, or did you go and you had a merry go round and someone. Offered to push you, and you're like, yes. Yes, please. Any of that kind of shit. Like, holy shit. Send it to us. Absolutely. What's our email address? Aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. Yes. And we will read them on our Sinister Sightings. Yep. And remember. Creep it real. And and don't don't get scared. scared.